0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Magnus, who's the founder and CEO of Sanity, a unique developer-focused content platform. In this episode, we go through how this business got started, why Magnus ended up joining as a co-founder in the first place, what they're trying to do differently in the CMS space, how they acquire customers in a bottom-up business model, having global perspective, and why Magnus decided to move to the United States. We talk a lot about co-founders as well in this episode, some things that go into thinking about who are the right co-founders, how do you decide to join co-founders and make that decision, also the fundraising process and the experience Magnus has had from a million dollar pre-seed round all the way up into their series A, and what goes into that and their experience around fundraising, and much more. As always, these show notes are just slash podcast and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts without further ado, here is Magnus the CEO and co-founder of Sanity. Magnus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to come on and uh, talk about Sanity and I want to know for people who you know who aren't familiar, haven't heard of Sanity and what this company is. What are you doing at Sanity?
1: Uh, thanks, Justin. Sanity is content platform. We're in the traditional CMS space. So basically, we we have a system that helps businesses administer and, and create content and then distribute that out to be used for web pages, apps, Alexa apps, books, and what have you. There's yeah. a lot going on in that industry. So historically, we would think about solutions like WordPress or Drupal or in the enterprise space, you may think about solutions like uh, Adobe, et cetera. Now, because of all the, for those for those who are into where the web is going, there's a lot of development happening on the, on, on making web pages and in general making faster, more performant uh, web stacks. Yeah. Uh, a lot driven by um, API services, et cetera. And insanity is, is part of that paradigm shift where basically... We're making it easier for developers to, to build very good experiences for content editors and, and generally increase content velocity at businesses so that, so that they can meet their customers on whatever digital journeys that they may have and use content from, the, from a single source of truth in a very efficient manner. Because it's all about digitalization. We have saw that now during COVID that yeah. that you need to speed up the way you meet your customers and you need to speed up how you're, how you're approaching your digital part of the business. Every business is becoming a software company or you'll be eaten by, by one, etc. So <laughs> short and simple, we're a content platform, um, developer-focused content platform.
0: And with that as well then, Magnus, understanding that's what you're doing today. Obviously, you raised the Series A very recently. Congrats on that. But how did Thank this you. then get started, Magnus, in the first place?
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a very um, that's a good story actually. Um, although I'm one of the co-founders and I'm, I'm CEO of Sanity, I wasn't part of Sanity when the thought came together. You have to go all the way back to 2015 when my three co-founders were running an agency out of Norway called Bangler, and they were basically doing all sorts of interesting technological consulting. Um, not so much building web pages, but they're big fans of, of architecture. And at one point, a very, very famous architect called Rem Koulos, um out of Rotterdam in, in Holland. He came in and asked them to, to give an offer for redoing his webpage away from WordPress. And because they're a huge fan, and he's like, he's like Michael Jackson in, in architecture. <laughs> so they, they made an offer, got the job, and they wanted to build a really high-performing and nice webpage. And they didn't find any back-end system that they thought were good enough for what they were going to build. So they built their own, which is now Sanity, back in 2015. And then they, they self-funded it and bootstrapped it. true worked with MIT, the Mellon Foundation, um, DSR, another architecture firm in, in, uh, in New York, um, got it all the way close to launch, and um, we're about to launch a product without really having a, a company. Um, plan behind it uh, there were about 10 people in the agency back then and then in parallel my life has began in consulting and investment banking and i was i was in private equity in a company called eqt partners where i spent seven years and, and had a good time and at some point i felt that i was far too uh, i was far far away from where the real action was going on if you look at the world development is probably one of the biggest shift in in economic economic development in in I don't know, 100, 150 years, if you, if you look at what's happening with technology. Yeah. And I was totally far away from that, buying uh, engine cooling company was something I, I owned. Uh, we owned a uh, oil service company, et cetera. So I started just by myself, age 35, started programming, um, mainly doing neural networks um, in Python and learning Keras and all that. Um, and then then I left uh, because I, I really wanted to try to build my own company. Um, some friends of ours put us together and say, you should really talk to each other. I I was just sitting in my attic programming. I'd been doing that for the last six months. Um, and we got together and figured out sanity that the the industry is, is huge. There's a lot of change going on, but the tools out in the industry haven't changed in most of them are for the early 2000s. So we thought it was a huge opportunity to build something that could change how people think about content, how people approach content. Um and uh yeah, that's that's what we set out to do. That's part of the plan to move to the US. US obviously a big big market, both in the developer sense and in in where the technology is moving, but also on the on the business side. So Sorry, that was a long. That was a long story, maybe.
0: <laughs> no, 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 it's totally fine. I wanted the context, and I've had t- t- like much, much longer stories on that on the founding because there's so much that goes into it, and I'll, I have a lot of questions around it. But one of the things too, going back to your point of you know there being some different options out there that weren't necessarily that great, and you mentioned like WordPress, for instance. Take me through. Maybe the differences that you were trying to, you know, create with with Sandy when you decided to launch this. Like, what were some of the the things you were trying to do differently from other kind of CMSs out there at the time?
1: Yeah, that, that's an excellent question, and I think you have to answer it first by by talking about where the web industry is going, because a lot of the changes that happen um, is linked to that. Although, then again, it's it's is different from that. Um, so, if you think about WordPress and all these old systems. They are they're monoliths, so they combine both the page templating, the authoring interface where you actually write, and then a database that sits and holds your data now that's been that's been working well and it, it works still well in many in many ways, but it slows you down uh, because you lose a lot of optionality on on how you actually develop, especially your front ends, your web pages. So, with new technology that came out of Facebook with, with React frameworks and all these JavaScript based tools, you're now able to make better, higher performing web pages. And then Google started ranking web pages on how well they perform. So, it actually impacts not only what, what you see as a consumer, but how you rank on Google search, et cetera. So, th- there are a lot of things coming together that made people look for better ways to develop web pages. Um, as, as a response to that, these, these content platforms started to adapt. But they, they without getting technical, they just, they just did small uh, adaptions by, by putting APIs on them, etc. What, what Sanity really does different is that, is that we're introducing a paradigm shift to how you think about content. So what we're, what we're bringing into the market is, is thinking about content as data. Now that every system has an API and you start expecting your data to be able to flow, and to come from a single source of truth and being reused in all different different settings, that same thing needs to be true for content. Um, so what we're bringing is a developer tool that lets you very quickly um, define your content as data so machines can iterate on it. So if you an example, if you have the content on Sanity and you want to use it uh, through a voice application like an Alexa app, you could just do that. Whilst in the older systems, you would typically have your data in a format where that's not possible, um, or your content in, in, in a format where it isn't possible. So liberating the data to be to be reused and distributed easier is one thing. And then in parallel with this, there's been a huge trend of, of empowering JavaScript developers. And the whole paradigm shift I spoke about on the web is, is, is part of that. Uh, but in the CMS space, that still isn't true. A lot of these systems are uh, are are locked the, the the source code isn't open. Uh, our software is actually half open source. so the whole application you use to build an interface for your content editors that we completely open source then it's completely free it doesn't work without our backend. so we're not a we're not an open source business as such but it means that we empower developers so that they can make life easier for content editors and marketers in their businesses and that's where you see the world where the world is going. More and more businesses are hiring developers to build better tools and make more efficient workflows. And we're really empowering them to, to leverage uh, what, what they want to do. That is, so in short, more customizable, uh, more uh, continuous in the way you approach your content. And, and lastly, it's, it's pretty strange for everyone used to Google Docs and who isn't, right? Uh, CMS industry still isn't real time so things aren't you can't see where your colleague is writing and you can't see his icon and uh, and all of that that you now would expect it's more like the difference between word and, and and google docs where where we already introduced all those kind of features so it's completely seamless real time and you you could track your changes of your of your colleagues etc um so customizable collaborative and and continuous kind of like the tree the tree sets asless support
0: and then from that then so understanding these are the things that were going to be different about what you were doing with sanity at that time, compared to some of the other companies around then, how are you acquiring customers in the early days when you had this new idea for how you're going to kind of change the CMS? How are you going about acquiring customers and, you know, getting the word out about what you guys were doing? Yeah.
1: So one of the, fa- one of my favorite things with sanity is that it's, it, it really lends itself to a bottom up business model because our studio is open source and, and because, of us empowering developers, uh, the best option to grow, a, uh, to grow a business like sanity is to give it away, let people try it, let them play with it. So if you're a developer and you're going to build a blog, sanity would cost you probably zero and you could use it as much as you want, as long as you want. Um, that also means that we had, w- when we launched in November, 2017, we just put it out there, had a blog post on hacker news and, uh, got quite some attention. And a lot of people just started trying it out. And if your tool is different, and if your tool is enjoyable and gives people fast benefit uh, and relieving them from pain in some way, they would just continue using it. Like so, it's more um, this this developer approach or this bottom up approach. We're we're still enterprise. Like the money we make, we still make from large businesses. We're not a consumer tool, but you use a lot of the same the same logic as you do in consumer businesses, and you and you. And you lend a lot of thinking from that kind of growth hacking mentality on how you get in front of people, get them to try it, get them to like it. Um, so, so typically, we don't reach out to any customers. Yeah. All of the customers that you could see on, on our on our web page, some some of the logos we have, they all reach out to us, and then we show them. And when it's bigger when it's bigger customers, we spend more time with them to show the solution, how they could use it. We give them um, support in onboarding, etc., and the, and they would pay us a substantial amount every year. While we have a big community of more than 50,000 users who are just you know, playing around with it or trying it and, and spending some time with it. And maybe they never come back again as a customer, which is totally fine. Or they come back again and they work for a bigger company uh, or they go tell some, tell some friends. So it, it's, it's a huge marketing component to that way of approaching a market. I think the benefit if you're building a business like that is, is you immediately think global. And being, I'm Norwegian, um, the story about Bangladesh that I just told you, that was in Norway. I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area in July 2019 together with one of my four co-founders and started establishing um, an office here and, and, and a team in the US. Um, and one of the challenges, I think, for many founders like us that come from smaller places um, is that you often get you get sucked into doing business around that that local area which it could be very beneficial but for some businesses it could be it could be lethal because when you're a business like ours you should immediately have a global perspective you should immediately think about where would the pockets of users be that best suit our software and that's completely independent of geography so i think our our approach to the market with our bottom up um uh, with our, our bottom up business model uh makes it not only much more efficient and it could scale much faster and we are growing very fast because of that it also makes it much more fun because you're <laughs> you're you're supposed to prove the value of the tool very very quickly not by selling it but by delighting your users
0: yeah so they'll actually want to use it again and again continually and and with that as well has that always been your thoughts around the business model that was it always the same or has that evolved over time the last number of years since you launched
1: yeah, that's a good question. No, this was always clear for us. We uh, it was so clear for us that we said no to a, to to a couple of very large customers, both in Norway and in the US. Because uh, what 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 sometimes happen, and I could say tend to happen, but I don't know. This is my my first startup. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but what is clear is that if you have something that is interesting, uh, large businesses and enterprises, they have a lot of money, and to come around good good people, good developers, good technical people, it's hard. So if you have something interesting, they wouldn't shy away from uh, from trying to pay you to make the tool what they want it to be or to implement it for them. Um, and we were, from the outset, uh, and I think driven by a lot of the things that I've seen earlier and my co-founder's experience with technology and my experience in business, it was very clear for us that was a lot. there were a lot of pitfalls where people who want to partner, quote unquote, and, you know, startups don't die from starvation; they die from indigestion. <laughs> and the problem is that if you if you if you think you can make money on all these things, then money isn't really the question in the early days. So I don't remember who said this. If, if this was Calakais or, or, or who said this? Like even selling early, you should be you should be, It's very Silicon Valley way of thinking, uh, but you should be very careful in in just thinking that immediately what you need to do is to monetize something. Because if you do that and you don't do it in the right way and it it doesn't scale or it doesn't show that the tool uh, could be scaled in the right way or, or even worse, if they start putting requirements on your software that pulls your whole product in the wrong direction, um, then you're lost in the beginning from kind of early success. So yes, it was always the plan. It was always the plan to go global. It was always the plan to be careful with partnering we did not want to go vertical, especially the media vertical, um, is some somewhere we could add a lot of value, but we were very careful not not diving too hard into any of those and always keep it developer-centric, keep it bottom up. SMB would have to like it, developers would have to like it, and not only larger enterprises, because our ambition is is extremely is extremely large.
0: Yeah, and one of the things you mentioned within that, Magnus, was you said you moved in July twenty nineteen to to the Bay Area then. At what point were was the business at that you decided that you needed to be in the United States?
1: Yeah, uh, good question. That that's another thing we actually decided from the get go. So back in back in two thousand and seventeen, when my co founders and I uh, got to know each other and, and and found out that we wanted to to do this together, and I came on as a as a co founder and CEO, we it, w- it was clear that a U.S. is the biggest market, b the developer community is global, but there's a lot of thought leading technologies and businesses and people out of out of the u s and especially the bay area so there would be a benefit not an absolute but there would be a huge benefit um and then thirdly, our business model with the bottom up and the way we were thinking um Norway has a lot of capital, but there's not a long tradition for building this kind of businesses in norway so there was there was little capital who had confidence in in that approach there's more prone to maybe pushing sales-driven business models as opposed to what this is this would be called a product driven uh model. Uh so the Silicon Valley ecosystem for funding was also more attractive for us because of that reason. So it was clear from the from day one, um, we had a lot of do we had a lot of internal things to do and in both in the organization and the product. So we didn't want to start splitting the team immediately. And then we we did a pre seed uh of a million dollar back in you know immediately after launch and we figured that we we uh we needed to get some more stability before two of the co-founders moved to the US so it took us a year and a half but the plan was there from the from day one
0: gotcha and one of the things too on that note of the co-founders I know you mentioned obviously joining them as they had made some some progress in a different way and then you guys decided to, to join forces but for other entrepreneurs out there I mean it's so difficult to well, one hiring, but even finding your co-founders and deciding who to work with—I mean, that's people you're going to work with for years and years to come. What were those conversations like with your co-founders that you guys decided to work together, or maybe some of the questions you asked, or like what were you trying to figure out with that that gave you the go on this?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a very very good uh, question. <laughs> what was that really? Um, there were a lot of things. Um, obviously, I think, and it, it's it's a bit scary making a, a decision quickly and, and not having known each other so very often co-founders know each other for some yeah. history which 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 is a big plus um i think i think there were a couple of things that were important i think mutual respect for 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 different domain areas and having different areas of expertise that that you can contribute um I actually spoke to my co-founder de- yesterday we had a little uh, chat in the evening about um, how much we want to build diversity into our team and we've been succeeding with with, with um, uh, somewhat we're not we're not perfect we have a long way to go but we've, we've been doing good progress over the last year and we're talking about how a lot of these diverse hires come and, and, and really praise our organization and how we go about things and I, I think it comes from all the way back that we were very different I was this finance guy who just put my suits away half a year ago <laughs> And they were these, like, our uh, one of my co-founders, Simon, has a long hair and long beard and looks like a, a very kind of classical, um, uh, more of a uh, hipster technologist. And <laughs> uh, so we were very different, but we had a very, uh, because of the things we both have done historically, and, you know, I'm 39, I'm soon 40, they're in their 40s. So we were, none of us are particularly young, um, uh, especially in this context, Uh <laughs> I think that, that was a very important part. And then another, another very, very important part was, was the ambition and the mindset around what we wanted to do. So we're all very, we have a very high risk appetite. Um, and, and we also really, really want to do this. And I think for the right reasons. None of us are here to become rich. I think that that's, you, you, you're very quickly disappointed if you do this to become rich. Maybe that's a good driving force for somebody, but, but not for us. I think the, 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 strong, the strong want to change something, and we very often said, in particular in the old, early days, it's a bit different when you're, when you're powering a lot of businesses and, and you quarter their, their, their development. You can't say this anymore, but we said, we said early on, if it, if it fails tomorrow, we're happy. And, and we'd rather double down and bet our business than to try to make something safe. So failure was much more attractive to us than mediocrity in terms of building a business. And and remember none of us have built a business that, you know, stable business with 50 employees that is worth some money. Yeah. Um so so I totally respect people who do that. I've never done it. Maybe I could never even manage to do it, but but it was never the dream. And 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 that was like the 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 anti-dream if you want. So we we that meant that we always stretched, that we always um, shared the the ambition for doing something big, and, and you know, a little bit air quotations change the world. I think um, not that we think content platforms are are, are the biggest um, reason for for the world becoming a better place, but if we could change how um, a large portion of the world think about content and work with content and and have better processes for digitalizing their business flows. Then we've done a little change to the world, and that's that's what we want. so the two things of of um of the the respect uh, which go back goes back to culture and the ambition um that really also what drives our culture today if you if you look at our company today it's it's a combination of a really strong culture, deep respect and and mindfulness about other people combined with a with a very high ambition to do something unique
0: with that as well. I'm just curious how. Like, I mean, how many conversations did you have or even like roughly how long before you just like gave the go ahead? Like, yeah, like, let's do this thing. I'm, I'm just curious for other people who may be wondering and, you know, oh, I'm a yeah. co-founder. You know what I mean?
1: Honestly, the first couple were, were, were just simple no's um, from my end because I, I had this idea I'm going to start my own company. And yeah. I didn't want to adopt anyone else's company. Because then you would never be the proper founder, right? <laughs> I, I read Peter Thiel, 021, and and that was what I was out to do. And remember, this product was about to launch. Mm, we it, So we, we, we started off having some nice conversations. I actually went down to meet them the first time, having no ambition to work with them other than I thought, I knew they were really good on a lot of front-end technology, and I've seen their work. And I thought, when I build my company, I can hire these people in. <laughs> To to help me on my product, that was my angle when I went down there. Uh, and uh, having met them, and we sat for two hours. I think we talked a lot about some algorithms that I was building on my old emails from my private equity days. I was I was kind of building a, a little app to generate emails and stuff like that. I was just playing around, and I showed them. We quickly said we should we should talk more. And so we we this was pre Corona, obviously. So we went yeah. to a bar a couple of days later. Uh, and we, we, we sat there, it was still, it was still, no, like, I think at that point I said, I could help them like with maybe some of my experience and I wouldn't have any, wouldn't need any money or I would just do that for fun. I could help them a day a week or something while I was working on building my own company. And then what happened is that they let me into their Slack channel. And since I was so eager to, I was right then focusing on learning react and building web pages. Uh, and since they were so good, I was sitting chatting late at night you know almost every day with one of my now co-founders about how you go about building these pages what is the logic around everything around the web and they taught me so much um, and I got closer to the culture and saw what they were doing and because sanity being a content platform ties very very neatly into that they they taught me a lot around sanity as we went um, so I think that was a huge part um in 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 they show the 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 power of what they already built and the power of the IDs they had for, for further building it. Um, so it took us, uh, I, I, it was a month, I think. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, we we said if we, we could find a way to like, not financially, but like more structurally go together. And that is often a very hard part because obviously none of us was experienced in this. So we didn't have a, a clear view of how a journey would look like, hence how you should deal with options or or what have you um we um and, and often is the case i think that uh, a team that already started something puts far too high value on what they've already built um and makes it very difficult and 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 maybe a lot of people put too too high value on what they can contribute also but if you think about it from from that day you're going to be equal partners and uh, you're all going to be as invested. If if one person comes in very skewed into that equation, that may mean troub- trouble down the line. Um, options are extremely inefficient in Norway and options aren't, in my view, like real ownerships. They are, <laughs> for sure, like real financial incentives. But um, having had a long career in finance, I had some savings. So I bought a big part of the company at, at, at a low price early on. In um, in that way, got uh, an ownership stake, and later on, we we adjusted it so I got equal owner with my co-founders. Uh, but there were a lot of hurdles in order to really land it. So so we were lucky uh, to get there, and it took it took a lot of conversations over. Yeah, I guess I guess about a month. Um,
0: yeah, and there's so much that goes into it, and I appreciate you sharing that because there, and a lot of times it is that way, or someone has been building something already. And then they get a co-founder and it's like, well, how do you decide to work with them or not? How do you decide to split equity? How do you decide? You know, there's so many yeah. questions around that, especially because that situation is not unique necessarily. I mean, it happens again and again and again. Um, there's no right answer, obviously.
1: Yeah. So I think what you were pointing to is like, how do you how do you pick a co-founder or how do you actually get to, to that point? And with what I've experienced over the last three years working with my, my co-founders and, and starting to build Sanity... It is clear to me that that's maybe one of the most crucial decisions that you do very early on. I think go-to-market is another one, um, very important one we just spoke about. And I, and I think that's the advice I have to any, any entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur that, that I meet also is don't, don't think you're – like, don't be cute. It's the same as, as an ID. <laughs> If, if you meet someone who says they have a great idea and they they want some advice, but they're very careful not to tell you the idea, I'm, I'm sorry to break your heart, but your idea is not unique. Is the execution on that. That'll be unique. And in the same way, the same thinking applies when it comes to a co-founder. So your idea and where you got to is not unique. And if you're really, truly looking for a co-founder, then at least you realize one thing that is the right thing. A lot of people say they look for an employee because they don't want to share it. I think... You know, always a question, how many co-founders are ideal? We're four. A lot of people say two is a better number. I don't know, but I think it comes down to what kind of competencies do you need and and, and who do you need to be totally, totally invested into it? Because it's a it's an almost impossible journey. And we're only started, like we're a serious A stage. We, we've gotten through a couple of hoops that are very difficult to get through, but we're still very, very early days, obviously. And uh, it's so difficult what you're going to do um that you need someone who really buys into it and not to say that people who are employed don't buy into it because they they really, really do and there are ways to to uh, to 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 motivate and, and and give them part of the ownership, obviously, but I think the core of a co-founder is that they that they they share something that is unique and they share that 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 struggle of getting there uniquely and uh, they they need to, be able to contribute over time if not you get you get trouble uh, and you need to contribute both with the skill set that you're actually able to grow into that role because most co-founders I think need to grow a lot to to keep that role but you also need to work extremely hard to get to get the things done and and it, it's almost all consuming of your of your thinking and what you're doing. Um, so if you think about it that way it's not really a question of whether you're giving some someone a couple of percentages up or down, um, but again, I'm not the most experienced. There's probably studies saying like how much should you give a co-founder and, and how should you think about it. But the, uh, there there's a, being Nordic at least. I think there's a there's a great power of of equality in a team if everyone's going to pull in the same direction, they all feel like equally empowered and equally valuable, uh, and we have to prove ourselves to be that.
0: Yeah, and there's something to be said for having those incentives aligned, especially if you look at the long-term growth of the company and where that's going to go. You don't want to have someone not incentivized the same way or have a grudge or some issue because you weren't equal, not necessarily completely equal in terms of equity, but just in terms of how they're valued and everything within the company. You don't want to have any issues, obviously. And to your point, I'm sure there's more and more studies, but I've interviewed a number of people around this topic, and there's obviously different answers, but a lot of them remarkably are pretty much on board with equal in many ways, uh, in terms of how you go about that. But again, no right answers on that.
1: Yeah. And I, I think there are some sorry just gonna shoot in. I, I think there are some good ways of structuring that. So if it doesn't work out, then you could then you could fix it. And and vesting of shares, et cetera, et cetera. Um and this is some of the same problems? Like people people think that if I spend two years on this I would have created so much value that that uh I need to get a lot of shares or a very high value for my shares or, or or what have you, that is often blocking and creating trouble as you go further down the line. So so rather being generous on sharing up front and then finding ways to 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 take that back again to the company if that person isn't the right uh or or things are not working out. Uh, and these are hard things to talk about. And I have I have like most of the companies that I talk to in the 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 companies that, that that I see around um, in San Francisco seem to be pretty uh, pretty mature on on those kind of thinkings, uh, but I think there are a lot of companies, and I saw this back also in Norway, where people don't have uh, the right kind of agreements in place upfront, and I make them more restrictive. of Actually jumping in and getting in the same boat i think yeah. it's much more important to get in the same boat but then be be grown-ups and talk about what if this this goes sideways or what we don't agree or what if this person don't perform or that person don't perform because that's the reality for most of these startups so if you manage to do that then you get all uh, incentives aligned and you have mechanisms to clean it up if it goes if it goes a bit sideways that that, that i think is important
0: Absolutely, no. I appreciate you bringing that up. And, and one of the things we haven't discussed uh, that I always kind of love to chat about as well is just you've gone through a number of different rounds of funding. You mentioned the, the million dollar pre-seed round, but also have gone through a seed in a Series A. But you, you were this is your, you know, your first like company. How has the fundraising side of things gone for you, especially like the the first time, kind of the early days? How is that process? Anything around that you would suggest to others as well?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to be said about. <laughs> um, so we've been lucky because we are where we are but it hasn't been easy um and there's been a lot of no's and um the first round we had was was mainly a friends and family round the the million dollar round and and in a lot of former business relationships i had uh that had some savings and capital and and believed in 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 this this team all of us together on what we wanted to achieve Um, The the second round we had was was the seed round where we raised uh, $2.4 million um, led by Heavybit Industries here in San Francisco and Alliance Venture in Norway. That took us a long time and we got a lot of no's in in various shapes and forms before we landed there. But um, there was a lot of education in terms of what what should you really expect and what are you looking for? and, and Heavybit, Heavybit's a fantastic investor um, and accelerator in San Francisco. They, they've earlier housed companies like PagerDuty, Netlify, um, LaunchDarkly. Um, yeah, a, a, a lot of famous, very developer-centric uh, startup. Uh, Mux is also a startup that's been there. Uh, they recently did their Series C with, it, with the A16 set. Um, they... There were some someone we were lucky to get to know a, a while into this thinking of, of, of where we're going to raise money from and how much are we going to raise. And uh, the interesting thing is when when we started to get familiar with people here in the Bay Area and the CEO of Mux, John Dahl, was one of the first who told me that you're 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 kind of thinking too big on what you want to raise. And maybe because I was from Norway, I didn't didn't know too much about the the, the seed stage investors here in 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 the Valley. So. I was thinking around, how, how do you get to talk to Kleiner Perkins in Excel? Um, well, the advice I got was that if you if you think about it differently and you say, what's the minimum amount of money you need to get to do what you want to do? And where could you get that money from? And who would be the best partner? And then he said, have you ever heard about Heavybit? And I was like, Heavybit? No, never heard of. Um, and then introduced me to them and I found out that that was a perfect match for us. Um, it's founded by the founder of Heroku, James Lindenbaum, and as a team of partners that are fantastic in understanding not only the ecosystem around what we do and the developer ecosystem, they only invest in, in developer-centric businesses, but really to understand the business model and the approach around that. And at that point, I probably spoken to 30, 40 different investors in Norway, London, and San Francisco, and partly New York. Um, and it, w- it was clear that they really understood our business and what we were doing. And really understood, really understood what we tried to do, and they were also really skeptical. So they weren't, <laughs> they weren't, they, they were really straightforward and told us like all the all the challenges they saw that we need to tackle uh, in order to make this a big business. And it was this very productive, um, uh, constructive dialogue from from the get go. Whilst a lot of these other discussions were, i I've, I feel that many of those who praised you the most uh and don't seem to really grasp the space you're in they they may be very positive and and and, and like you but that it's hard for them to find the the proper evidence of whether this would work or not and at least in my experience, from my one data point, it was very hard for many of them to to put money behind that. And there are a couple of things in our industry that would make it challenging for some investors who who don't see what what we see, what we believe is the the, the truth and where this will go. Um, and Heavybit was was one of those specialist investors that really understood us uh, and that re- didn't really try to paint a rosy picture. Um, and from the first conversation we had until they signed, I think was was eight months. Um, and a lot of convincing and discussions and that's one of the the best partners or that's the best partner we could have gotten uh at that point um and and but it wasn't it wasn't what we thought we're going to do we ended up doing 2.4 million i think when i started uh this this kind of round after our our pre-seed uh i i i told my friends that i think we're going to do three to four million dollars from you know Excel or one of those, they sometimes go in early and we're, we're, we're better than average. And why shouldn't we be able to do that?
0: Well, there's something to be said for, yeah, for finding those right partners when you are pursuing fundraising. And, and then from there though, that was the, that was the seed round that took, Months and months and months, as you mentioned, to to close it. Actually, then the Series A that recently closed. Take me through where you were at in the business at that point and and how that went. Because there's obviously companies going listening that also have raised a seed around already, yeah. or but are raising an A. I'm curious as to your experience yeah. with that.
1: Yeah, that was a different experience. We um we got here in the summer of 2019. When we when we when we did our when we did our seed round, we had a couple of hundred thousand in in revenue and and some customers that were interesting um, and, I don't know, 10,000 users on the platform or something. We'd have a bit and also some of the angel investors we got back then, which John Dahl from Mux, uh, Matt and Chris from Netlify, um, Uhad from Stackbit. People who have been funded by, by VCs before, went through series A's before, uh, either one or multiple times. Uh, we 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 had a completely different set of advisors that could help us, and in particular with Heavybit. Um, so uh, it was much more clear f- for us without speaking to everyone to to understand what we what we had to achieve in order to get there. Uh, so we worked much more without talking to VCs. And I think there are two schools. Like someone say, you should always talk to them and, and get to understand. I I definitely tend to 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 fall that way because I need to understand the lay of the land. But with the support from, from a good investor, I would much more lean on them on what we needed to have. Um, and what we did, we worked hard to to balance the business in between having the right organization, having the right uh, go to having the right product, and having the right go to market. And go to market then being twofold. One being the the general bottom-up traction that we had on users as compared to revenue. And there are a lot of people over-focusing on revenue. There's a lot of people under-focusing on revenue. I think where you should be, I think in general, revenue takes away a lot of questions. But if you have the wrong kind of revenue, it just raises a lot of questions. So if you, if you manage to have in your industry a attraction vertical that is not directly linked to money, I think you could prove a lot by by the interest people have in using your tool and we have developer signups, active developer users, more like uh, consumer businesses um have their benchmarks. We had a lot of discussions whether we should go flat out on just signups or if we should build a business in parallel. But, but you know when when you've been in business 6 months after launch, one of the largest restaurant chains in the world, they contacted us and they wanted to use us and they're now one of our biggest customers and they 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 wanted to use Sanity and there was no alternative. There was no other tool they could use. Then, of course, you have to sell. You have to, you have to build a business. And that happened multiple times. So um, you can't always choose. And for us, it was very unnatural not to build the business. So at the point we raised our Series A, we were at roughly $2 million ARR, which is more than people say you normally need. Um, but I think it's really industry-specific and case-specific uh, some industries that would be crazy to try to go for a couple of millions in ARR, and you see a lot of Series A rounds being done on half a million dollar revenue or a million dollar revenue. Um, uh, but there needs to be something unique, and I think that the, the question is like, what kind of what kind of questions and answers would investors see when they start opening up and looking under the hood of the business? Uh, and again revenue could answer a lot of questions but it could also raise a lot of questions so we got questions when we raised our a for instance we did this during corona so we we did our close with threshold in june we announced it in late september or early october we also had a couple of subsequent closings with people like um ev williams from from twitter um before we announced it but the but the big deal was done with 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 uh threshold in uh, in may and then and then announced in in June no sorry closed in June um and and I think we heard a lot of comments around because we had a fairly developed business that it that it was still a bit founder-led and we didn't have like account executives to to show that this was proven um without which is which is a bit crazy to have as a comment (laughs) for for a stage business that that has two million dollars in revenue we also had one customer that was quite big and there was all these things. But I think that proved that a lot a lot of the questions you get when you do have revenue. But for us, it would be it would be crazy to try to raise without revenue. Because one of the questions in our industry is who could really build a business around the content space and who could really change this space. There are a lot of it's quite easy to build a CMS. It's very hard to build a CMS that the largest uh, fast-moving consumer goods companies and, and, and restaurant companies in the world uh, would use as the core platform for having their digital journey with customers. So, it, yeah, it's, I, I guess this is just a lot of ways to say that you can't really know. Um, but the way I got through it was to talk to people that I love getting input from people that are believable because they have some sort of angle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and very often I meet people that I don't necessarily agree with, and one of the one of the benefits and one of the pains of being a founder is that at the end of the day you have to close the door and decide for yourself. But on that journey, I try to meet as many people as as I can with different perspectives, and I try to figure out what's the grain of salt in their advice, uh, and try to come down with what's the what's the best path for us to develop sanity in, uh, and we ended up with. Focusing really hard on developer signups, and we were at you know, a couple of thousand, I guess, when we when we went out with our Series A, when we had a couple million do- dollars in ARR, uh, and we had a balance that that for us, um, I think was the right way to to develop it, uh, and we ended up with a fantastic investor. So from that point of view, it's good, and it, it also led us to have a fantastic growth after, so we're still growing very fast.
0: Yeah, and I like you know to that point of what you mentioned, it's you're getting all these different opinions and advice and et cetera, from different people around you. But ultimately, you know, to your point of making the decision, like you have all the data and you know more than anyone else would because you're in the company every day. And so its it comes down to you making the decision ultimately, but to at least to get some data points and advice around it, I imagine would be helpful uh, with making that decision so you can get different perspectives and, and et cetera. But yeah, it is like you making the decision because you have all the data, and it's your company. So that's what it ultimately comes down to. And, and I wanna be respectful of your time. So I just have a question or two left. I'm just curious how to like, how do you recharge away from work? Because you obviously have these big grand ambitions. You have two kids. How do you recharge?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, so I, I believe a, a startup, many people think we need to work so hard because we're a startup. And that equation doesn't hold up for me. Like, of course we have to work hard, but you can brute force a startup. Like there's no way that you could just work harder to 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 balance the resources the incumbents have in, in, in an industry. So you have to be smart. So so you you need to be able to, to live a balanced life, which means that you need to sleep. I was a big eye opener to read why we sleep um a couple of years back. Um you, you need to exercise and um we 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 put a lot of emphasis on that uh and trying to create a work environment where where you could be focused and we could we could be fresh in your mind so we also put in um, benefits when it comes to to sponsoring um, someone to talk to if you need something like that without that being a taboo and we actually also sponsor um, physical exercise we we, we we pay a part of, of a private trainer for every employee in the company and these are ways that I myself find very important to to recharge and, and have balance so it's typically either, uh biking I, I i like road biking in the hills of uh of oakland that's fantastic or just working out in my garage uh um ideally with a trainer because it's so hard to get the you know focus to do it properly um and then and then if i uh like in addition to that is of course to spend time with the family and, and trying not to be stressed when i do it because that's like the worst squeeze you could be in so trying to have good time my, my son is four my daughter is six they're obviously Norwegian, but they're now fluent in, in in English and my daughter is on to learning Spanish and and trying to just be relaxed and be close to them. That that really gives me a lot of energy.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate the, what you mentioned around that because I think it is so important, the sleep part with, with the exercise part. And that's always been a big part of what I've done with understanding, I come from an exercise, sports science, uh, degree in undergrad. Uh, and so very much so the, the physical activity part in terms of staying sane while building companies is, is important. I think the people I've talked to on this show who have kind of echoed similar, do a really good job with kind of maintain that sort of, uh, flow between the two and, and where can people go to learn more about your company and also connect with you as well, Magnus?
1: Yeah. So, uh, our webpage is sanity.io. You could go to the blog and, and, and read some things that I, care about that I that I write there uh, but most importantly read about the product uh and ways to use the product um and you will find also links to to podcast interviews and to videos we make and etc so sanity.io is is um a great place we also have a slack community uh for people who are especially interested developers and content editors who who take a special interest in in uh, in content management they could go to um, don't remember the URL, so go to sanity.io and you'll find a link to our Slack community where we, we have, have six, six, seven thousand developers already uh, sharing IDs and sharing sharing their work in, in the content space.
0: Magnus, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me, Justin.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you wanna follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, Find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.